Hey everybody, welcome to the Stewardship Simplified Podcast, the place where pastors, practitioners, and partners come together to talk about the realities and challenges of giving and stewardship today and what's coming up tomorrow. Hear from experts in generosity and leadership as they share their insights on best practices, trends, and resources. Hey friends, thanks again for listening to the Stewardship Simplified podcast. Rick Wheeler here. It's always a privilege that you would take time out of your busy life and spend a few minutes with us. We have a treat for you today. Two friends of mine that I've been wanting to sit down and have this conversation with, Bob Bumgarner and Spike Hogan. Bob serves with the First Coast Churches Network here across Northeast Florida. And Spike is the founding pastor of Chet's Creek Church here in the Jacksonville area, a great multi-site church. And we had a wonderful conversation about the post-COVID realities for the church. What does it mean? How are we leading different uh, in 2022 versus uh, a few years ago? We get into giving patterns and how they have shifted because of the pandemic. We touch on the differences in giving habits of the different generations, how we're leading differently. We even touch on the importance of defining what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how important that is. So it's a fascinating conversation. And just a reminder that here at Stewardship Simplified, we are praying for and pursuing a movement of people in churches who are maximizing kingdom resources by following God's plan for finances. So let's jump into this wonderful conversation with Bob Bumgarner and Spike Hogan. Hey everybody, it's great to be back with you. My name is Dave and I get to be part of the Stewardship Simplified podcast. Today, our hope and our goal is to uh, take a look at the State of the Union, just of the church, just kind of what's going on, what are leaders seeing, what are leaders doing, what's coming up and how do we best prepare. And in studio with me today, I got some really cool and special guests, Executive Director of Florida Baptist Financial Services, Rick Wheeler. Rick, what's up? Hey, good to be with you again, Dave. Thanks, my man. Glad to have you. And uh, we've got Bob Bumgarner, lead missional strategist at First Coast Churches, and Spike Hogan, lead pastor over at Chet's. Gents, good afternoon. Glad to be here. Good to be here. Uh, Rick, do me a favor. You know these guys more than I do. Why don't you go ahead and introduce them so our audience knows who's in the room with us today? We have. We've uh, The three of us have known each other a long time, and I consider both of these guys mentors and friends in ministry. In fact, a little bit of trivia here. The three of us actually at one time held the same job at different times. <laughs> uh, and of course, Spike was uh, the 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 first to hold that position. It was at the Florida Baptist Convention. And then Bob followed him and then I followed Bob. And so the Lord has just kind of brought our paths together in a number of ways over the years. And so I count these gentlemen as friends and uh, certainly people I look up to and respect. And when I have knots to untie, I call these guys because they help me untie them. So I'm uh, a big fan of both of them. And so I'm pleased to have them here on uh, one of our first, if not the first, uh, episode that we're going to be releasing. And so, uh, guys, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, kind of where you're from, and how the Lord brought you here. Bob, we'll, we'll let you go first. So, I have been the lead missional strategist of First Coast Churches, formerly the Jacksonville Baptist Association, for two years. I, I sort of infamously say that COVID and I arrived on the same day, and uh, so it's been an interesting it's been an interesting wow. two year journey. Before that, I had served with Spike for five years as executive pastor, but that's our home church. We've been there okay. since almost from the very beginning. I live here in in Jacksonville, and 
I have four grandkids that I try to spend as much time as with as I can. And Spike, you're, uh, you're not only the lead pastor, you're the founding pastor of Chet's Creek Church. I am, in a roundabout way. I'm the, I'm the only pastor they've had. You know, <laughs> started a group of people there at Dear Matters Baptist Church, wanted to yeah. launch a church plant, asked me to join them, and kind of God's timing transitioned well. Decided to let the convention to start that church. And uh, 24 years, started April of, two, of, uh, April of 1998 when we mm-hmm. started. And... Uh, so we're 31 adults and their kids back then, and we've seen God bless us in a tremendous way. And uh, similar to Bob, when Bob and I were there those five years, in 2019, we were recognized as one of the 100 fastest-growing mm-hmm. churches in America. And then COVID, and there's no fast-growing churches in America. That's right. So that's, that's the bottom right. line. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Viral it, means something else now. Oh, so, man. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole different world. Wow. Well, thanks, guys, for, for being here with us and uh, sharing a little bit about your background and that sort of thing. The past two years, we you both touched on it. Have, it's hard to even talk about the last season of life without how the pandemic has shifted things, accelerated things, uh, altered things. And so we want to help leaders kind of process where we are now. You know, the, we keep using words like a new reality, unprecedented. You know, we're in the we're in the. Uh, the ice age, not the blizzard or the snowstorm or, you know, that sort of thing or the winter. Um, so let's talk about for a minute, um, understanding a little bit better the times in which we live. When you look over the past couple of years, how are you doing things differently? And Bob, you know, as you speak about all the churches that you get to, to observe and witness, how what's the main changes or the main ways that, that uh, churches are having to relate to ministry different than they did say a couple of years ago we'll let Bobby look. yeah I think that what I'm what I'm observing is the it's a mind shift from like I can't just be a preaching pastor I need to be a missionary mm-hmm. and, and and I think it comes down to you can't assume that you understand the field if you haven't looked at it recently and I, th- I think part of the part of the challenge of that is Maybe we had some rhythms that we were really comfortable with that we really didn't realize how comfortable we were with them. Right. Part of the opportunity is I think that in, in this particular season, our layman realized that something needs to change. Mm. And so I think there's a little bit more permission. Uh, it's not that people are excited about change, but I think people see the necessity of change a little bit more than perhaps they did in, in times uh, before. I, I think one of the things too that I'm seeing is that if we were a brick and mortar church with a, a digital ministry kind of hobby on the side, we're seeing it more, if, if not 50-50, uh, we're seeing digital ministry much more, much more important. You still got to do the brick and mortar, but, you know, you, there's multiple ways to engage people. Yeah. You know, we used to say we, you're a, a physical church with a digital presence. Now right. you're almost like a digital church with a physical, physical presence. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's the emphasis that's kind of shifted there. Spike, anything else you'd want to add? No, I, I think my my greatest surprise has been, um, and I think almost every church I've taught to the same thing, is there's a group of people that just aren't there anymore, mm-hmm. and you don't know where they are. And, uh, and you do everything you want to do to figure that out. But we, you know, we had, a, we had people every Sunday, two, three, four hundred people that were there that were coming, but they were not connected, not necessarily committed. You know, they were taking up a seat. And so we've, it's almost like people have gained permission after missing three or four or five months yeah. to not go on Sunday. You know, we, you know, we go to, we can miss and not be struck by lightning or whatever. I'm not sure what it is, but, <laughs> but truth of the matter is, we're gonna have to figure out who we are again, hmm. in some ways, and figure out what's important again, what a disciple is, because 
for years as Baptists, we measure our effectiveness by our buildings, our budgets, and our baptisms. And to the matter is, none of those three really say that you're a disciple-making missional church. And so I think having to redefine what that is and also to figure out, as Flake said years ago, you got to know what your possibilities are. We need to know who's mm-hmm. with us. And we don't know who's with us. we got to redefine that again, I think. I think one of the things, too, just to, to kind of piggyback on that, is part of the part of the challenge is what Reggie McNeil talked about years ago um, in Future Church when he talked about people would begin to manage their spiritual life like a spiritual portfolio, mm-hmm. where certain, like, I'll take this many stocks in this or this many experiences in that. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID gave people permission to do that. You know, all of a sudden... Um, it, it wasn't just going to church on Sunday that was my main my main thing. And I personally think that one of the things I'm seeing is where we've probably never thought of church attendance as a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, spiritual disciplines, we talked about quiet time and scripture memory and <laughs> right. fasting. I think church attendance has risen to the level now mm-hmm. of being a spiritual discipline that we probably need to, to actually emphasize more. Yeah, that's what I was going to... I was going to kind of dive a little deeper on that. So some, some things, some attitudes and behaviors have changed. Is it a matter of just say accepting that? Or there are some things that we believe really are core and central to being a follower of Jesus. How do you know how to, when to lean hard on some of these things and press in and go, no, 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 we've got to emphasize this. And so um, I don't know, anything you're seeing, because I do think there's a sense in which we've got to just meet people where they are. But... We can't just forfeit everything over and say, well, people don't want to come to church. They don't want to contribute. They don't want to be uh, involved as volunteers anymore. We're not just going to accept that uh, and say, well, we're not going to have that expectation anymore. So, I don't know, any thoughts on how you navigate, um, you know, when to press in on something and when to just uh, acknowledge? Because like you said, Spike, these people who aren't there anymore, all likelihood, they're not coming back. You know, some, and some might, right? Mm-hmm. But what do you, um, how do you navigate, like, when to press in on something and when to just accept it, I guess? But be... Sort of humorously speaking, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, H.B. Charles preached a sermon on Hebrews 10 mm-hmm. called Assembly Required. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he right. made a great case uh, about why physical presence, if you can be there, is, is important. Uh, to me, the thing that is missing, if you, uh, or the, so I would advocate, that we do have to hold up, that it's we have to gather. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how um, you do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It, how, do, how do I imitate you if I never see you? How do I, how do I practice 1 Corinthians 13 if I'm never around you? Yeah. You know, in other words, in the laboratory uh, of relationship. So I think part of the whole discipleship process is imitation, imitating people who are farther along than us. And um, I think you have to see people yeah. in order to, to be able to imitate them. Right. Yeah. 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 You, um, when you think about the biblical model of the early church, they did two things. They met house to house, and they met a Solomon's colonnade. So they met for worship, and they met for group. They met for family. And we, we are even contemplating, and probably this fall we'll probably pull this off, we're looking at filming our Sunday morning worship service, but not showing it till 6 o'clock on Sunday night. Because I think we made it convenient for people. We're saying to people by our actions, it's okay not being there. Uh, and the thing that's kind of scary to me is I get notes from people from literally, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about thousands, 
but I get notes from people almost every week. We just love you. We visit your church with our kids, and now we watch you every Sunday in Virginia Beach or whatever. Mm-hmm. See, that's an, that's antithesis. That that's anti what the church should be doing. Yeah. And it kind of struck. Oh, they like my sermons, and I'll know. They need to be in a local church because church should be family. Yeah. You know, uh, church should be sheep. Should be a flock, and yeah. you can't be those things. If all you do is watch it online. So we're talking about taking our online presence off. The, the negative of doing that is some people check churches out now online first before they visit live. But I'm just thinking they can do it at 6 o'clock. And we're, we're talking about Sunday night at Chet's, calling it that, doing the Sunday morning service at night and having somebody kind of host it deal to really encourage people to be there on Sunday. Because I really do think presence is a big deal. And family, fellowship, all those things. You cannot do that online. You just can't. Yeah. One of the things we want this podcast to focus on uh, specifically in in the area of leadership is how uh, we can help people in their stewardship and their giving. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're witnessing in the local church and across uh, the spectrum of churches. Uh, What's changed? I mean, most churches I'm talking to have been holding their own, but I'm not sure we're kind of really everything has shaken out financially in the, in the whole system. And so you can speak specifically to, you know, the churches where you serve, but I mean, Bob, of course, is you're looking at a number of churches across the city, but what, what are you noticing about giving trends and just stewardship in general uh, post COVID? I'll jump into that one. 2020, 2021, both years, our giving was up from 2019. Our attendance was down. Our giving was up to 8 to 10%. Okay. Yeah. 2022, our giving is actually trending down. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Because uh, our, actually, our attendance is catching back up some. But I don't know if it's the economy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's $4.75 gas, which right. it could be. I don't know. But I'm hearing that from some other guys, too. It's funny how the church seemed to rally behind COVID and make sure the church is doing well financially those two years. And, and now... We're seeing for the really the first time in our history a little bit of a lull in giving. Uh, and we've not had that 23, 24 years. So I haven't, I haven't figured that out yet. We're working on it yeah. now. But I don't know, Bob, you might have taught some other churches what they're seeing this year. Yeah, 2022 is much flatter is what I'm, is, is kind of the trend that I'm, I'm hearing. Wait, but the to, to build off your previous of 2020 and 2021, I think the big shift there was a heavy emphasis on online giving. Uh, people made a lot of shifts for a variety of ways. Uh, I mean, um, I think the thing that probably hadn't entered into our mind is if we want people to give, how do we make it convenient for them to give? And so I, I, um, I know at Chet's we had um, in the, in the first two years, there were three or four, five ways you could actually drive and give your, your offering. You know, if you wanted to, we just said, you know, this is how you, um, we, we made it. We made it easier. And, and Spike offered to ride on his bicycle to come pick it up. <laughs> was real, that was really nice. Offered to, I was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and I think one of the things too that that I saw in the um, there was a great deal of storytelling around what the money was doing. Like in the COVID, there was a lot of community engagement. You know, we're feeding people. We're you know we're doing this, that, and the other thing. Uh, with you know, every time you give, you allow us to be able to do that, and I think that, uh, especially for cause giving people like Gen Z and, right. and millennials, that's really an attractive, uh, at least on ramp for for giving. So I guess that kind of leads me to my next question, is, uh, and then I'll turn it over to, to Dave, and that is, um, 
so is there any, how do we, how do we address this moment versus 2020? Uh, if and, and that's exactly what I'm seeing too. That it's, it's a much. I think 2022 is we're finding out where we really are. Um, you know, there was so much um, cash into this. You know, there was so much you know CARES Act money coming out, PPP loans, and all that sort of thing. It was everything was kind of artificial. Uh, and I, I do think you said rallying around the church. You know, there's a lot of people that did that really stepped up. Uh, that's kind of fatigued now a little bit. And, and I'm, I think in the numbers, attendance numbers have shaken out. And we kind of have, so I, I really kind of think we're finding out where we really are this year. So any, I mean, anything that you're seeing or doing or in light of that, you know, what should churches be doing to maybe come back and reemphasize giving or special, um, you know, initiatives or anything like that that you'd, recommend or you're thinking about doing or anything like that yeah um one thing i think is very important most most church members i think when a pastor talks about money assumes and has a reason why that the budget must be down giving's down and what i was taught years ago and, and we try to do this and we kind of we just came to a big capital campaign last fall so i'm kind of tired of talking about giving mm-hmm. to the truth mm-hmm. but uh but I was taught that you share positive results of consistent giving on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You just don't talk about it when budget giving is down or whatever. And so we've yeah. practiced that for years, and we've probably not done it enough this year, to be honest, because I spent four months meeting with people right. individually to talk about making large gifts. Sure. Um, but I do think you have to do that. I think Bob hit on it a while ago. You have to, you have to share how your giving is making a difference here and around the world. And if everything seems that it's going just to the local church, uh, other than the loyalty group, which is dying out gradually anyway, mm-hmm. for, for that, these next two generations, they want to know what that money's doing. And they tend to give to projects and things more than they do to a organization, you know. Right. And so I think that's a big deal. I've for, not been on staff with Spike for a couple of years, and so I don't know how this plays out right now. But we used to have this at, at the at, – chats we had a generosity moment mm-hmm. and the thing that was interesting and unique and fun about it from my perspective was the generosity moment was happening while the offering was being given but it wasn't before the offering mm-hmm. so in other words you couldn't respond to it mm-hmm. like in other words it was the story that was being told as you were already giving mm-hmm. and um and so i think that actually created the non-urgent vibe mm-hmm. if you if you will but but i think that part of what i'm seeing through things I'm reading and, and talking to pastors is that um, I know this may sound odd, but we need to do a really good job of donor development mm-hmm. or tither development, caring for, uh, you know, the most recent research I read said somewhere between 75 to 90% of people don't tithe, oh. 10 to 25% do. And of those 10 to 25%, this is encouraging 70, about 70% of them give more than 11%. Hmm. And so to think about, how do we affirm, recognize, celebrate those kind of what, like, in other words, how do we um, add um, reason onto that? You know, how do we help fuel their, fuel their generosity, I think, is as an important concept for us to think through. Well, and, it's, and um, we don't talk about it enough, but it's, truth matter is, you, you just can't get out give God, number one. You're, you're blessed when you give, number two. But I think a lot of pastors are scared. They're scared to do two things. They're scared to find out what their people give, 
And I, I mean, I didn't know. I thought, oh, you can't know what people give. Well, you kind of need to know what people give, because sometimes people wield a lot of power that, that support none. Mm-hmm. You know. And, Say that again, please. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, people yield a lot of power who give nothing or very little, and um, and not that you want to kowtow to people who give a lot, but they certainly earn the right to to be listened to when they're faithful supporters and all. Number one, number two, uh, and dangerously so, I think. We've allowed, we've allowed as pastors, our giving story not to be told. And I was taught years ago too. You need to share your story. You need, you need to let people know that you sacrifice for this church and that you give, that you tithe, that you give above the tithe, that you support, because you set the example. And I've been shocked by the number. Of, and we have a policy at church: if you don't tithe, you don't work there. And we do track that as a staff member. Um, it's a big deal, and we've had we've had we've let a couple staff members go because they just. I'm sorry about that, Bob. With good news, he got him a good job after yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Never been a problem with Bob, just so you know. Um, but but it's I think it's important. I mean, you don't. Here's the deal: we don't ask anybody to lead at a high level who is not faithful to serve, who is not walking with the Lord, and who doesn't give. Because to me, the, somebody said to me years ago. It seems that the last thing that ever gets baptized for a Christian is his wallet. And uh, we found it to be very true. So we think a mark of spiritual maturity is their willingness to give. Right. One of the things that I, I think is um, a downfall in the giving piece to, related to our age, the age we live in, is like think about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. Now everybody listens to that and um, – uh, they they are wondering about their pastor. Is my pastor that way? I, I think sometimes we listen too much mm. to the press. I've I've read some research this past um, couple of weeks that that actually talks about how the nuns are are actually trending up in church attendance, mm. and that that Gen Z and millennials are actually um, rising in their giving to churches. And so part of what um, Part of what this particular research piece was asking was, if um, is it easy to give um, small amounts multiple times? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, how do you how do you accommodate the different kinds of giving patterns that are that are that people how people want to give in your church? Yeah. So, um, I, I think we have to be careful not to let negative press become self fulfilling prophecy, right, right. because we don't act on it. That's good. Guys, every time there's kind of like a cultural or global hiccup, right? It kind of moves things around and you you shuffle the deck and all of that. Obviously, there's a pain point with it, but every time it comes, there's an opportunity to hit reset as well. So as you guys think through the ministries, you get to steward and the time that you're there. As you guys are looking into the future, what do you see as like the biggest opportunities for for church leaders, church pastors, church boards to be considering as we lean now into the future. Hmm. Uh, you said something, and Bob kind of triggered this as well. I think the next generation, so George Hunter, who is a church growth guru 30 years ago, said something that I still remember. And he said this. He said, every generation aspires to be more like their grandparents' generation than their parents' generation. And I, I can't prove that, but I think there's absolute truth there. And you think about your grandparents' church, what it was known for, dinner on the ground, mm-hmm. fellowship together, fifth Sunday scenes, these kind of things. And then we became corporate church. We became big box church. We became now multi-site church, you know, and these kind of things. And so 
I, I think this young generation is looking for a couple of things. I think they're looking for uh, something that's real and, and relevant to them, of course. Uh, but I also think they're looking for transparency. And if anything has shown us over the last couple of years that something that lacks, I think, in our churches is pastors to take their mask off and just be real. Just mm-hmm. be honest. Just, man, I struggle with this, you know, a little bit. Make fun of themselves a little bit, you know, just, just because I grew up in the age where coat and tie, you know, you're, you're almost like you're on a pedestal, you know, and, and just deep respect and stuff, which is fine. But, man, we're just real people. And, and I think the younger generation wants to have a relationship with somebody who's real, who's transparent, mm. who's honest, who admits struggles, you know, mm. no sinless people here. Ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not mm. a sin in the Bible. Anybody's... If I didn't figure that out, not a sin in the Bible is that all of us are capable of committing, you know. And so just to be honest, that we all struggle, you know. And uh, I, I think in my mind that may be one of the greatest needs that we have today is just uh, take your mask off and be real. Be yourself, you know. I think we have, um, and it piggybacks right on that, that we have the opportunity for relational mentoring. Uh, one of the things I've noticed with young leaders, and I don't know how young a young leader is in Baptist life, but anyway, you know, but, but 40 years old and younger, let's say, um, I think young leaders are serious about a couple of things. I think they're serious about biblical ministry. Uh, a, a lot of times, you know, we, we say it in this phrase, gospel ministry, gospel preaching, those kind of things. Um, I think you can um, overuse that phrase. Um, I think it, if, if you use it too much, it just becomes like a skin you put on everything. But I, but I do think when I go in the last, in the last 12 months, I've probably been in 30 churches and heard uh, it, at least in the Northeast Florida, first coast church area. I am so pumped by the, uh, the kind of messages that are being preached uh, in the churches, big and small and red, yellow, black and white country, urban, hip, whatever. Um, but, and, um, and, and, and what I'm seeing in addition to that is at, at least different from like when I was growing up, it was how do you make your church bigger? And by bigger, that didn't just mean size. It meant more effective. How do you reach more people? How do you not leave anybody behind? But I I think that what I'm seeing now is people, uh, leaders saying, how do we plant? How do we, how do we replant? How do we build community? And I think that, I think the younger leaders are much more open to, um, relationship than those of us who are my age and older really understand. And we could actually, that's an opportunity we could really take advantage of. Um, like I've, I've actually had a church planter say to me, who he may listen to this. Um, I know you're smart. I don't need you to be smart. I need you to be my friend. That's mm. good. Yeah. And, um, and so he said, when I need you to be smart, I'll call you. I, I, I just, nobody ever says that to me. That <laughs> they know I'm not smart. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Unless I know you're old. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so. Crazy. Then let, let me just keep going with that for a second, Bob, because you're talking about identity stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about relationship stuff. Uh, Spike, early on, you talked about um, you know how we measured things or how we used to measure things: mm-hmm. baptisms, buildings, budgets, and stuff like that. This is really different language, right? Than necessarily that. Not that that's all bad. It's not, but it's it's it just feels like a different shift. So. How do you think you start to like measure effectiveness in areas of identity or mentoring? Because that's really difficult. Like there isn't a barometer on anyone's shoulder that says, 
hey, my spiritual levels are going through the roof because of that conversation. So there's younger guys listening. There's guys in the midst of this. How, how would you all encourage people to think, all right, how do we know if we're winning? Well, you got to know the touchdown is to win, right? Mm-hmm. Or a field goal or a, a hit or whatever. And I, I think one of my concerns with the generation that's two years, that's two generations behind me is that um, they may not know what a win is in this generation. And so... Tell me more about that. Okay, what's the disciple? Let's, let's, because I've had this discussion with some of our younger staff. Okay, we're, we're here to make disciples. If you can't define disciple, how can you make disciples? You know, I know what a car is. Can't make one, but I know what one is. I know what a horse is. But I've seen book after book after book on making disciples, and they'll have different tracks and all. So let's let's just get down to the basic. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. What does that mean? You know, how do you how do you say Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? A disciple is someone who's obedient to what Jesus says. So what does Jesus say? You spend time with Him. You share your faith. You use the gifts and talents and abilities, the spiritual gifts and the stewardship God gave you to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. You serve, you know. We talk about the five purposes of the church. So you carry out those five purposes. A disciple used to be measured by how much you went to church. Like attendance. Attendance. Okay. Exactly right. If you attended, if you taught, if you gave, you're a disciple. And But at least when I was a teenager, I knew what the measurements were. Sure. We don't know what the measurements are anymore because it's it's different. There, there are 20-somethings that say, if I go to church and listen to a guy preach a sermon, I'm a disciple. No, you're, an, you're, you're a listener, mm. you know, and that's a big difference. And so I think we've got to redefine and simplify again. How do you measure discipleship and what is a disciple? Because if you haven't decided what that is, then how do you set organizational strength and how do you organize to help people be disciples? You know, yeah, and and that's so. I, I think for us is we're constantly looking and asking that question: What does it take to help someone to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Christ? And uh, and some churches do not have an organization in place for discipleship because they build all of the discipleship on the preaching ministry. Mm. That's dangerous, um, and I mean dangerous. Not that preaching is bad. I mean everything cannot be about preaching. You know, because just got hear really good sermons does not make me a disciple. In fact. The danger is just people going to church is just because the guy's really good communicator. Sure. But not because they're growing in their faith. Tell me about the group you're involved in. Tell me about where you're serving. Tell me about where you're going. Tell me about how you're sharing your faith. Those, those are the marks of the disciple, you know. And so some churches are built upon a preaching ministry, but not upon a discipleship-making ministry. Mm. And and we I think we've lost some of that over the years. Maybe that's some of the disconnect between the generations too, right? I don't think so. All right. And and they probably find, and Bob can speak to this better than I can, but a lot of young adults or Christians find their fellowship somewhere other than the local church, which is kind of scary too, a little bit, you know. Not, scary is a bad word, but... Concerning. Yeah, it is concerning, I think. So anyway, Bob, I'm sorry to pick up on that. Or, For, or, or refute that. Go on. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree 100%. I think that's, really, that's kind of where my role comes in, is how do you help churches have conversations about what a disciple is and how do you language how do you language that so that it makes sense in a Cambodian church and in an English speaking church and in a hipster church and in a country church. One of the things for me in the role that I'm in is my scorecard is a little different. So my job is to help churches 
help pastors lead their churches so that their churches make disciples. I mean, that's one of the ways you could describe what I do. And so my goal is to make whatever they have to do easier, you know, and, and harder to do it alone mm-hmm. is kind of my, but the way that I measure that is, and this may sound funny, but to me, when pastors give money to First Coast churches, we spend it and we like that, but that's really one of the lower levels of commitment. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm appreciative of it, and I wish more would and give more. But at the end of the day, the way I measure my impact on a pastor is how much of their time are they giving me? You know, and that doesn't always mean coming to meetings. You know, like, in other words, can I, for I do this all the time with Spike staff, can I recommend somebody to talk to a staff member of Spike Hogan or Chet's Creek who can help them with finances or whatever? Mm-hmm. So um, it, are they open like that? I. I call that generating. When that happens, they're actually generating for for the network. But finally, to me, the greatest opportunity that I have, and when I know that I have trust of a pastor, is when I have access to their staff and, oh, and, and access to helping their staff shape whatever the strategy is. You know, one of the things that is the, the advantage of a network job, one of the disadvantages, you're not with the same people every Sunday. That can be a bummer. But it, one of the advantages is you're not with the, people, the same people. So you get to see a lot of different expressions of the body of Christ. And so uh, most often, if I don't, I, I can connect you to somebody who is actually doing what you're trying to do. And they can help you not have to make some of the mistakes on your own. That's a good word. So those are kind of the ways that I look at success. All right, we've... Um... We've talked about kind of looking over the shoulder of the last two or three years and kind of how things are, have shifted and are different now. We've talked a lot about the pandemic, but, you know, there's been so many other things. There's been so much political unrest. There's been racial tension that, you know, just, you know, pastors and church leaders are having to just answer questions that weren't being asked five, six years ago. And so thinking of all of that, just um, in general, just, you know, if you're sitting across the table from a pastor or church leader, What's one thing you would, there's one piece of advice you would want to give them serve, to serve well in this season? Like, if you, hey, with all this going on, here's one thing I want to tell you. What, what would you say to them? <laughs> Why are you laughing, Spike? I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> here's what I say. Wait before you tweet. Mm. Wait, before, <laughs> wait before you post. <laughs> People don't necessarily want to hear and see and know what you think. And this social media platform has created... It's interesting when you look at the Southern Baptist Convention today, we got guys running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know who they are other than their social media presence. You know, I, I don't know who they are. I, I don't know, don't, nothing disparaging to them, but social media has created a monster. And uh, my dad told me something years ago. He said, if you're angry or frustrated, wait at least 24 hours before you respond to it. And I got to tell you, that kept me out of a lot of fights mm. in my life uh, just because. We say stuff out of anger, out of frustration, whatever. So I think, number one, listen more, speak less. Mm-hmm. Second thing I would say in this day and age is you're not – the other thing my dad said to me when I first said I want to be a pastor, he said, remember this, you serve an audience of one. And I've had people mad at me when the when the George Floyd thing came up. Some got mad because I didn't say enough. Mm-hmm. And some got mad because I said too much. And I lost people, not a lot, but I lost people here on the right, here on the left. Because of both reasons. I got people mad at me for for not saying enough or too much about the political race. Not saying much about this. And so you know what? If I serve an audience of one, who I vote for, the organization I stand for, all those things, doesn't really matter. Because I'm supposed to be pointing people to Jesus mm-hmm. and not a political party and not a not a movement or not whatever. And that's hard at times because 
You want your people to love you. You want them to support you and all. But you've got to make wise decisions what's best for the body of Christ and for the church. And here's the other thing somebody said to me years ago. You're going to lose people whether you like it or not. <laughs> and so lose them for the right reason, not the wrong reason. Wow, that's, that's really good. So, that's good. I think the thing that I, that I would want to say is your problem is not bigger than Jesus, but the solution is bigger than you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, uh, one of the things that I think that we default into in LifeWay's research has shown this, lead out of isolation. Um, you know, we, we, we get panicked and we, we don't talk to, to folks. That's why our new thread is don't pastor alone because we really believe, we've believed this at Chets forever. There's a collective IQ that we're all of us together with the Holy Spirit are smarter than any one of us. But the second thing that I would say, and this has been, um, I think this is a particularly a COVID season response is cruise control is for cars, not for leadership. That's good. And, um, and I feel like when I talk to pastors, sometimes the greatest frustration, they, they, say, they say this in a, in a well-meaning way. I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. Normal's gone. And, um, and, and so uh, there was a time maybe when you could do cruise control and, and things kind of worked. But now it really takes spiritual leadership. It takes humility. It takes uh, realizing you can't reach a city by yourself. You can you can reach some people, but you can't reach the whole city by yourself. It takes the whole body of Christ. That's a really good word. Guys, thank you for that. Listen, we are coming to the end of our time. But before we do, one of the things that I like to do with all of our guests is what I call rapid fire. Spike, Bob, I'm just going to ask you some random questions just to get to know a little bit more about you, your minds, and what you guys think. There's no wrong answer, okay? But what I do need is just shoot from the hip and go really, really quick. If not, it's called slow fire, and it's not. It's rapid fire, right? So, uh, other than the Bible, other than the Bible, best book you've read in the last year? Good gosh. Rare leadership. Rare leadership. Oh, dang, you took mine. I just finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think about it. Think about it. I'm going to come back to you. Uh, guys, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. Where it is, yeah. boy. Near family. Near family, and where would that be right now? Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, well, then you guys are both there. Congratulations. Um, let's rewind back to high school. Favorite subject in high school? History. Science. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you be writing about? For me, it'd be leading yourself well. Leading yourself well. For me, it'd probably be um, making a difference in the local church. I'm going to come back to you, Spike. Best book. Uh, before we do, if you had to eat one more meal... For the rest of your life, what is that meal going to be? Medium rare cheeseburger with cheddar cheese, french fries, and um, ranch dip. Oh my goodness, it sounds like you've thought this one through. <laughs> Spike, any words on that? Yeah, yeah, it would be um, jambalaya, etouffee, and uh, fried catfish. Wow, praise God for all of what you just said. That sounds fantastic. Any thoughts on the best book? No, I, honestly, because I, I, mean, I read a lot, but nothing just jumps out at me as life-changing this past year. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Before we wrap up again, just some key takeaways. I made some notes. Uh, just this, this season requires a shift in thought. Missionaries is how we need to be considering our cultural context and the realities in front of us. Just because you come or because you were coming to church, that does not mean connected. That was a big, big statement from you. Uh, thanks so much for that, Spike. Um, follow me as I follow Christ. To imitate requires presence. So one of these, like, how do we elevate the, the discipline of, of, like, the fellowship of the body together? 
defining what discipleship means without clarity it gets murky and nobody knows where they're going so what does it mean to be a follower at your church at any one of the other churches that we serve etc wait before you tweet oh my goodness <laughs> i'm going to tweet that in just a second and i'm going to give well, you should the, wait first yeah we should wait uh your problem um is not bigger than jesus but the solution is bigger than you Man, that's a good, good word from you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Rick, thanks for being here. Bob, Spike as well. And real quick, um, where can folks find you online, social media? Uh, At Bob Bumgarner and at uh, firstcoastchurches.com. Okay. Yeah, uh, chessgrade.com. Just go online. I choose not to have a big social media presence because I know what kind of trouble I'll get into if I do. (laughs) More wisdom. It just does not end. Guys, thank you guys so much for joining us again at the Stewardship Simplified Podcast. Everybody, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's fun. Stewardship Simplified podcast is provided for general information purposes only and does not offer or constitute personalized financial, investment, tax, or legal advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from a tax, financial, or legal professional. Mentions of the Church Growth Investment Fund are not an offer to sell nor a solicitation of an offer to buy securities of the Church Growth Investment Fund. Any solicitation of an offer to buy or sell is made solely through and by CJF's offering circular, which you should read carefully before making an investment decision. Offer and sales of these securities will be made only through representatives of the Church Growth Investment Fund. CGIF securities are subject to certain risk factors as described in the offering circular.